0: Good morning, it is time to get up with a Thanksgiving feast. Three excellent football games and our crew says one huge upset that is on the way. Meanwhile, Aaron opens up on his future, his most telling comments yet. What do they mean for him and for the rest of this Packers season? Plus, the committee speaks. We'll tell you the one scenario they left wide open that could throw absolutely everything into chaos. We've got all that and more as we get up with you starting right now. Now on this day before Thanksgiving. Heather Dinage is here, which means someone is back at her house cooking like crazy right now. (laughs) Meantime, because I'm me, I'm in constant contact with our Jets reporters. If there's any news on Zach Wilson, I promise you will get it here immediately. And look at the squad we put together to talk everything through. We got Dominique. We got the big fella Chris Canty. We got Tim Hasselbeck is back and Paul Feinbaum is here to break down what the committee did last night. Let's begin with the Thanksgiving showdown in Dallas tomorrow. Cowboys, traditional hosts, they will take on the g man Dallas, pass rush, dominant. They get pressure on 40% of their drop bags. That's the best by any team through 10 games since we started tracking that in 2009. On the offensive side, Cowboys have been among the league's best since Dak came back. Top five in points, yards per play, and third down rate. And now, Dak facing a Giants team that he has historically dominated. Dak Prescott has reeled off nine straight wins over the G-man, posting a QBR of 79, 20 touchdowns, three interceptions. Here was Dak with reporters looking ahead to the game.
1: Jerry
2: said after the game that that performance convinces him that you guys are Super Bowl contenders.
3: Uh, what, what do you think when you hear the owner of the team talking like that?
4: Uh, I mean, he, I was convinced before. Um, Yeah, I mean, he tells you guys a lot of things. I'm not going to get caught up on one of his statements. Um, As I said, we laid a brick last week, a pretty good one. Uh, But we've got to turn the page from that and make sure that we do that again this Thursday and just continue to progress.
0: (laughs) Okay, so Caesars says Dallas is a a nine-and-a-half-point favorite on this Thanksgiving Day, Dallas one in ten against the spread. The last eleven Thanksgivings, including losing outright as a favorite on Thanksgiving each of the last three years, which would suggest. Then an upset, perhaps even a stunning one, could be in the offing, but there's no way anyone on this panel is going to be crazy enough or brilliant enough to foresee that. Is there? Let's call that foreshadowing. Kalen, put the picks up on the screen. I want everyone to see that Chris Canty is picking the Giants in what would be a stunning upset. Chris Canty, take us through it. How are the G-Men going to knock off the Cowboys tomorrow?
5: Well, gee, it's not complicated. There's only one path to victory for the Giants, and that's running the football. We saw the blueprint laid out by the Green Bay Packers a couple of weeks in Lambeau. You come out in big people, and you force those fast-twitch athletic guys for the Dallas Cowboys defensive front to play the run 40-plus times. If you look at the New York Giants following their two previous losses... They've run the ball 47 times and 44 times, respectively, with Saquon Barkley getting 30 rush attempts in each of those games. So I anticipate that's the Giants' formula for success. And you hear the comments from Brian Daybolt, they don't want to get behind schedule on offense. It's going to be Saquon, Saquon, Saquon. Try to keep the game in manageable situations for Daniel Jones, but the run game will be the engine for the New York Giants being able to pull off the upset on Thanksgiving Day.
0: How do you like it, Nick? We lost Nick. He can't believe it. Dominique is so stunned by Chris Campbell's that his signal went down. Chris has absolutely knocked everybody out. Let me go to Tim. Ha- look at him. <laughs> Actually, that's a pretty cool look. He looks like a music video. We'll work on him. I'll get to Hasselback. Hasselback. are you buying yeah, no, it? I was saying that,
4: that, that oh, there's no him. way that... In that game against Green Bay, the, the Packers were still down by 14 headed in the fourth quarter. And we know that the Giants are incapable of scoring anything more than 24 points. They'll give you somewhere between 19 to 24. If the Cowboys can score the, their regular amount of points, which I think they can because the Giants defense has some good defensive linemen, but they're a little deficient in the talent category. I think it's going to be really hard for them to score with them. The problem isn't uh, it, can the Cowboys stop the run. I think they're going to have a hard time with this Giant run but I don't think that the Giants have a chance of scoring with the Cowboys particularly the way they've been scoring lately so it's nice. You can hope for that, especially when you have some ties to that team. Maybe that could be skewing part of your uh, selection. But I think it's unrealistic to, to suspect that the Giants, a team that we know have overachieved all season, has a real chance in this game on Thursday.
0: That That is an interesting way of looking. Hasselbeck, let me come to you on that, because the world will look at this as Saquon against the Cowboys running defense. But I'm sort of with Nick. This game, to me, will come down to uh, if, if, if the Cowboys can score – 24, 28 points, and they've been doing it regularly against a good giant defense. That might be too much for Daniel Jones. How do you see the game?
3: Yeah, Greeny, I think you're right. And listen, you're saying 24. What if they score 31 points? Because that's what they're averaging in Dak's last 21 starts. They're averaging 31 points and 400 yards of offense with Dak as the starting quarterback. I think people need to understand like, how well Dak Prescott is playing. I mean, you just go to the start of last season. Again, starts you know, that Dak Prescott has had. Look, they've been the number one offense in football. Not the Bills with Josh Allen. Not the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott as a starter so yeah I don't think it's just about uh you know Saquon running it against that Dallas defense and all that that is the formula Chris is right that's the formula you obviously want to keep that Dallas offense off the field but let's just also kind of give them some respect for how good they've been offensively with Dak as a starting quarterback and Chris, let me come
0: back to you. I mean, I love the take, and I, we'll see what happens tomorrow. We're all I mean, Those of us without a rooting interest are just rooting for a good game. But I think a lot of people have looked at the Giants the last couple of games and thought they've been exposed. This was a team that was doing it with smoke, mirrors, and great coaching, and now they've been exposed. Does this pick by you suggest to me that you, Chris Canty, actually believe the Giants are somewhat for real and will be interesting the final month or two of this season?
5: Yeah, gee, I think what we saw last week against Detroit is an outlier. If you look at it, it's the first game where Daniel Jones has multiple interceptions in the only game this season where the New York Giants have three turnovers and then compound that with Saquon Barkley having the fewest touches and the fewest yards from scrimmage. And I think you can understand why the Giants found themselves on the losing end of that game against the Lions. But I don't anticipate that being the case on a short week. I think the Giants do get back to basics. They did lose Wandale Robinson early in the fourth quarter which forces them more to be reliant on the run game. So going up against a defense that is 30th in run-stop win rate, I think that's the opportunity for the Giants to shorten the game and keep that Cowboys offense off the field.
0: I like the way you're thinking. Everybody stay right where you are. We have much more on the three very interesting NFL games tomorrow. But before we look ahead to those, we got to look back at last night because the committee has spoken. The rankings come out last night. The top four teams stay the same. But Heather Dinnich told us yesterday, keep an eye on LSU and USC. Would there be a change there? And the answer was no. USC's win was not enough for them to leapfrog over LSU. So you see the numbers. With Tennessee falling all the way back to 10 after their big loss to South Carolina, it is LSU sitting at 5 and USC sitting at 6. Paul Feinbaum is with us. But Heather, let's start with that. What Does that mean, for for the folks who didn't watch it last night, what message is the committee sending by putting LSU 5 and USC 6?
6: That if LSU runs the table and somehow beats Georgia to win the SEC, they're going to make history as the first two-loss team in the college football playoff. Feels like going into the rankings, some people had questions. Could they really do this, a two-loss team? Yes, absolutely. The committee chair, Boo Corrigan, spoke repeatedly last night about how they like LSU's wins, and that trumps, what USC has done against Oregon State and UCLA.
0: Okay, so you all know me. All I root for is chaos in all of this. So let's try and figure out some means to this. Paul, let's start with that first off. As, as we always try and figure out teams that control their destiny, do you agree that LSU is now clearly one of those teams? Win and they are in?
2: Absolutely. I mean, they're sitting there at five with a with victory over Georgia, and they'll be about a 15, 16-point underdog in Atlanta next week. They'll have a win over the number one team in the country. They'll also, Greeny, have a win over Alabama, uh, which will be probably in the top six, maybe, maybe a little bit higher depending on the chaos. I realize that they lost the opener, but the chairman said that's not going to be held against them, a one-point loss against FSU. The, the glaring problem on their resume is on October 8th when they lost at home by 27 to Tennessee, but they haven't lost since, and I think that, weighs, that will weigh heavily on the committee's
0: mind. All right. So, again, the scenario that Paul just laid out for you talking about beating the all of that is presupposing they beat Georgia. So, Paul, that then begets the next question. Is Georgia in anyway? If Georgia should lose that game to LSU, is Georgia in anyway, which would create a scenario where the SEC has two teams in?
2: Georgia will be in. And, and they have Georgia Tech this weekend, so we'll move past that game. And, and Greeny, I can't even come up with with a scenario. I mean, last year they got blown out by Alabama in the same spot. They were still in. Now, again, Alabama was was maybe a little higher regarded uh, than LSU is this year with one loss versus two. But I, I don't think there's going to be a debate. Georgia can punch a ticket. Uh, and, and then it's just a matter of where they land in terms of seeding. Uh, the the, the first-round games are in Atlanta. And in Phoenix, so they may be deprived of playing in Atlanta with a loss, but that would be about the only penalty I can see.
0: Okay, fair enough. So, so let's live in that world for a minute here, because then, Heather, it feels to me like we've got a, 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 the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game, let's put them in. Mm-hmm. And then you have TCU if they win out, we put them in. That seems to me as though it would be the end of the field. Otherwise, you're looking at a one-loss, potentially conference champion USC. If they beat Notre Dame this weekend, you're looking at the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game. Do those teams basically get left out of this mix in the event that LSU wins the SEC?
6: The selection committee would at least have a deep-dive conversation on Georgia as a loser in the SEC championship game compared to a one-loss USC that just beat three straight ranked opponents. And we have to remember that in that scenario, Georgia's best win would be in the season opener against Oregon. USC probably could play Oregon in the Pac-12 Conference Championship game. Common opponent. So all of those things would factor in. But I lean towards what Paul is saying because the selection committee said that Georgia separated itself from the rest of the country as the number one team.
0: So then let's go to the other and more likely scenario, which is Georgia beats LSU in the SEC championship game. That takes LSU out of the mix with their third loss. That puts Georgia in. An unbeaten TCU, if they stay that way, and that's not a guarantee, puts them in. The winner of Ohio State-Michigan, we would assume, is certainly a lot to get in. And then who?
6: Then I lean towards one loss, USC, or the loser of Ohio State, Michigan. That's
0: where I'm going. How does yep. that team get in?
6: That team gets in more likely if it's Ohio State because the committee has repeatedly referred to Ohio State's win against Notre Dame as something that's slightly different than Michigan's resume. And I know Michigan fans are so annoyed with me for continuing to bring up their strength of schedule, but this the second weakest non-conference schedule in the FBS, and they will continue to talk about that in the committee meeting room if they don't beat the Buckeyes, because if they don't beat Ohio State, their best win is against Penn State.
0: and 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 you know what? Here's the thing that I've just discovered that is phenomenal. The minute we started talking about the Big Ten and not the SEC, Paul's dog started barking. (laughs) Did anyone else notice that? I don't know if that was audible on television or not, but it was definitely audible to me. Paul, you even have your dogs trained to be SEC fans.
2: Breaking news, my dog does not like Jim Harbaugh. (laughs)
0: Well done. Stay close by. Much more on this as we go. Again, the committee's sending messages, and we're here to interpret them for you. As we continue, Aaron Rodgers sending a message yesterday. We need to interpret what he said, talking about his last dance in Green Bay. What does this mean for the rest of the Packers season? Plus, booze for Ben and an inexcusable performance by his team in Philadelphia. What did that mean last night? Jay, will and Woj on the way to break it down as we get up with you the day before Thanksgiving on ESPN. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Get Up is brought to you by Hulu. Watch the Hulu original series. Welcome to Chippendale's new episodes, Tuesday, streaming only on Hulu. All right, we haven't had Tim Hasselbeck here in far too long. Tim, let's run some QB quick reads. So the Bucs are in first place in the NFC South. Does Tom Brady have one more deep playoff run left in him?
3: i think he does greeny i mean look here we are right at thanksgiving and the bucks are the first place team and i think you know some of the questions that we have i think are being answered reminds me a little bit of you know tom's first year in tampa where they didn't get off to a great start but then they started to play better down the stretch think about some of the receiver issues they had earlier in the year seems like they're coming out of those and you get to the postseason i think teams would rather face quarterbacks like geno smith Kirk Cousins, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, guys like that, rather than seeing Tom Brady come to town.
0: it could be a very interesting finish here. The next one, I want to ask you about Justin Fields. He's been so spectacular the last month or so. Can he keep playing the style that he is playing right now?
3: I think he can because, you know, it's it's something that I think translates over time, and we've seen it before. And the guy we've seen it from is Cam Newton? I, I just I think that there are certain traits you see Justin Fields just as a football player, if you will, like I, as a guy that you know. Look, it just, I, it's just if backyard football breaks down, and I'm just a better runner than you are a tackler. I think that we've seen that. I think we're going to continue to see it, and I think we'll see more design runs out of Chicago to help make that happen. All right, we'll talk more about that. Meanwhile, what happened to Aaron Rodgers this season? Yeah, I don't know how you could have seen this coming. I've talked a lot about Aaron's dominance in the NFL over the last four years. I would have never have thought losing Devontae Adams would cause this much trouble in Green Bay. I thought Aaron would kind of elevate the play of everybody around him. They haven't found consistent receiver play uh, to help him. It still is a dependent position. Yes, Christian Watson is coming on right now, but it's been a struggle. Maybe Aaron's thumb is a bigger issue than we really realize. Now, he
0: heard it back in that London game against the Giants at the very end and, and frankly, has not looked like himself since. Rodgers was on his regular appearance with Pat McAfee yesterday talking about his future.
4: Listen to this. To sit here and say, oh, no, it's all ball all the time and blah, 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 bullshit. Like, I mean, I don't know. That's not the way I am. Like, like there's, there's life after football. It's been an awesome run. I mean, I'm really proud of uh, what I've accomplished. I don't, you know, I'm not, like, looking forward to the end. And I don't know when that's going to be. You know, I don't know if it's going to be after the season or after three more seasons or whatnot.
0: Okay, so, uh, Neek, he's not going to make this easy for them, right? I mean, the, what, what, if the Packers season is over, and, and, and let's say realistically with one more loss it will be, then what they need is to know whether their future does or does not include Aaron Rodgers. And from that soundbite, it, it seems clear to me they are not going to know anytime soon.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that Aaron's going to be back. I think that he's being honest, as he's been all season with Pat McAfee. I think we're not accustomed to hearing it, but no quarterback is football all their life, all the time. Aaron Rodgers may be on the kind of far end of that distribution where he wants to get away a little more than most quarterbacks, but he's been the same his whole career, and he's coming off of back-to-back MVP seasons. I think we're reaching if we're trying to make this feel like the end of anything for Aaron or the end of anything for the Packers. They still have a pretty strong roster, and this season for sure is over, but I think that they have a chance next year bringing back a bunch of these players if they can address their issues on defense, and if Aaron Rodgers can play at a high level and is fully healthy, they have another chance next year to make a deep run.
0: Well, but in the absence, Chris Canty, of any certainty regarding Aaron's future, you just heard him say, I don't know when it's going to be, maybe it'll be after this season. Do they need at some point this year to put the first-round pick, Jordan Love, on the field and see what he can do? In the absence of certainty with Rodgers, do they have to find a way to do that?
5: Yeah, they should absolutely put Jordan, Jordan Love on the field after the bye week to give him four games to see what he can do. But, gee. Independent of what we've learned from Jordan Love, I think this should be Aaron Rodgers' last season in Green Bay because it's clear that this team is much closer to a rebuild than they are an actual title, and I'm not paying a 39-year-old quarterback $50 million a year to miss the playoffs. The reality is that this team is grossly underachieving, and it's not because of the young wide receivers and the lack of development. This is a team that lacks leadership, and now it's fair to question if there is a relationship issue between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers and can the organization work past that friction. So when I look at this situation, I understand the salary cap constraints, but here's the deal. The the Philadelphia Eagles moved on from Carson Wentz, $834 million and made the playoffs in the same season. The Los Angeles Rams moved on from Jared Goff, $825 million and won the Super Bowl. I understand it's an ugly cap hit. It's a $40 million cap hit if you trade Aaron Rodgers before June one. But I think that's the only path for the organization to move forward. It's time to reset. They started down that road of replacing Aaron Rodgers. They need to rip the Band-Aid off this offseason.
0: What do you think of that? I mean, Tim, I'll get to you in a second, but, Nick. I, I know. Go. Go ahead.
5: I mean,
4: they're close to a rebuild. The roster is pretty good. I think that the way that they've executed this year has been embarrassing, but I do think that when is there, the offensive line is strong. Alexander's one of the best corners in the league. They have two of the best running backs in the league. They have Aaron Rodgers. when healthy. is a, amongst the best quarterbacks of all time. Uh, Rashard Gary is coming on. He's better than I think anybody expected, considering what he produced in college. This team is good, and with Christian Watson showing up and figuring out how to play. Lazard is still uh, an active threat. Like this is not a team without talent addressing the motivation or the game plan or all that stuff or leadership or whatever, you can use the whole offseason and rest of this season to do that. But to suggest that they're closer to a rebuild than anything else seems wild to me. And those teams that you mentioned moved on from quarterbacks that, like, had question marks, I guess? They didn't move on from future Hall of Famers. They moved on from Carson Wentz and Jared Goff.
0: All right, I need to come back to this for sure. Timmy, let me get you in here on this, on this little dispute that we have, and then we will set aside some more time to get back to this. Go ahead, Tim.
3: Well, listen, my first thing is someone needs to check on Rob Domofsky because honestly, his <laughs> offseason just got ruined I as mean, soon as Aaron Rodgers said that. Like, I just, that was my first reaction was like, oh, man, he's ruined. Anyway, look, I agree with Neek on this. People need to understand, okay, this has been a bad year. How good has Aaron been? It's been remarkable. Take this season, remove this season. The previous four seasons, Aaron Rodgers threw 135 touchdowns and like 15 picks. It's been absolutely absurd the way he's dominated the National Football League. So one bad year, you know, I don't think you go, hey, all of a sudden we're going to treat him like Carson Wentz. We're going to treat him like Jared Goff. And I believe this. Yes, with everything that Aaron is saying, I don't think he wants to go out with this type of taste in his mouth in terms of how the season has gone and how he's played.
0: All right, everybody, hold this thought. I'm coming back to it. This is obviously one we need to continue to discuss, and we will. But I'm up against the bottom of the hour. Coming up, it was an awful performance followed by an awful press conference, and it leads to one very big question. Should the Jets bench Zach Wilson right now? I'm in constant communication with their camp, and I will let you know as soon as there is news. Plus, I woke up this morning and Patrick Beverly was trending. You're going to see why. You're going to find out if he should be suspended for this as we talk about it with Woj and Jay Will next. It's Get Up on ESPN. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
1: Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! On Yeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good.
0: All right, we're back on Get Up, and last night, the return. Ben Simmons back in Philly, his first game after everything that happened there. And as was predicted, the fans were ready for him. Here's how it sounded.
3: At 6'10", from LSU, number 10, Ben Simmons.
0: So they booed, and Jay Williams is here. Jay Will, let's take a look at some of the performance from Simmons last night. Is he, you're going to see him get the, booed every time he touched the ball. He's got a little putback here.
7: Look, I like the first possession of the ball game. They had a
0: lob at the rim, and I like his engagement with the crowd. That's what you want, ultimately, from a guy who wants to compete and is lost in the game. He had 11 points and 11 assists, and that steal, and it goes ahead to Kevin Durant. But the Sixers led all night long. Yeah, well, look, this is a lack of defensive performance from both
7: Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And when you give up 20 offensive rebounds, Greeny, you're not going to win games.
0: Look, you just saw Tyrese Maxey and James Harden sitting on the bench. They didn't play. Joel Embiid didn't play. And yet, despite not having any of those guys, the Sixers basically led wire to wire and won it 115-106. Meanwhile, here was Simmons after the game. Were you
4: expecting it to be worse? I thought
5: it was going to be louder. Yeah. You thought it was gonna be louder? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's gonna be like this forever. I mean, I don't, don't really see it changing. But um, yeah, I think it's, you know, every opportunity to go, you know, especially a, an experience like this uh, to play in Philadelphia. You know, I haven't played here yet, so um, obviously it's, it's one step, you know, in the right direction for me.
0: He sounds happy, uh, even though they lost. He had 11 assists through three quarters. He was close to a triple-double, but in these five crucial minutes in the fourth quarter, as you see all of the goose eggs up there on the screen. And so Woj and Jay Will are with me here as we go through some Mm -hmm. of the NBA's action from last night. We'll have countdown tonight, Woj. But but, uh, Simmons, the Nets, what? So I'm glad that Ben
7: Simmons was able to get through that experience, but I feel like there was a missed opportunity for Ben Simmons because at that post-presser, Everything was about Ben Simmons. And for Ben Simmons to go next level, he needs to make it about what the team needs to do. You lost to a team with no Joel Embiid, no James Harden, no Tyrese Maxey. There are 20 offensive rebounds, and by the way, in the five minutes you played in the fourth quarter, you had zero assists, zero points, zero shots, zero rebounds, right? So when it gets down to the nitty gritty, this team is about winning a championship. Fine, I get that he was able to come back in Philly. Ben Simmons needs to get back to the team player that helps his team win championships.
0: So, so Woj, look, no one is more connected to stuff than you are. And the number of times you and I have talked about the varying (laughs) levels of dysfunction involved in this. Now they've got everybody. Simmons has gotten through Philadelphia. They got through the coaching change, and they have their guy in place now. Uh, Last night's a discouraging loss, no question about it. How would you describe sort of the temperature of the, the Brooklyn Nets right at this minute? Well,
8: listen, you have to judge it by how they're playing. I mean, that was about as bad of a loss as you could have yeah. in the NBA. They don't play hard enough. And that was a Philly team, as you said, without three all-star level players. You know, the win against Memphis the other night, Memphis's team, they're almost playing their G League team. Mm-hmm. You know, without three of their all-star level players in Memphis, you know, had to come back late to win that game. And now they've got a stretch here with Toronto, the Pacers, hard-playing teams. I think you're going to learn a lot about this Nets team if it's – is this group worth keeping together?
7: And greeting by the way, they got beat by Philly's bench. Yeah. You know
8: their bench ranks last in the
0: NBA in points scored per game, right? It, it, you, listen, I mean, you said a minute ago, in Philly, and, excuse me, it, with the Nets, it's about winning championships, is it? I mean, is this team anywhere no, vaguely close?
7: To well, that, that. that was the whole point off the Ben Simmons comment, right? It was about Ben Simmons and him getting through this situation. It's been about Kyrie Irving getting through his situation. When are we talking about the Nets as a team? Like If we're not talking about the Nets as a team, it seems like a lot of individuals, and I think that's what they have to go through.
8: Yeah, I, th- I think on a night like that, and you look at that Sixers lineup, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they should be able to win that game alone, and
0: they were outcompeted at every turn. All night long. All right, so the discouraging signs continue even with Ben Simmons getting through this return to Philly. Meanwhile, I woke up this morning and the name Pat Beverly was trending. Uh, that always makes me curious. <laughs> so I went in to look why and here's why. Lakers Suns, fourth quarter. Austin Reeves is fouled by Devin Booker. DeAndre Ayton is standing over him. And in comes Pat Bev. He doesn't like it. The shove to wait into the floor from behind. Pat Beverly was ejected. This is Pat Bev. Let me get from both of you guys. What did you think of... Pat Beverly So, I, I get
7: Granny's always going to protect his teammates, but I agree with what Devin Booker said. You know, I'm so tired of watching Pat Beverly push people in the back, push them in, in their chest. Like, this is not the only push, right, against DeAndre Ayton kind of looming over Austin Reed. Mm-hmm. There was also the push in the 2021 playoffs with CP3 walking back to his bench yeah. in his back. So all, I think Patrick Beverly should be suspended for something like this. I don't think there's any room for somebody pushing somebody from the blind
0: side. What you, should we expect to hear from the league on this?
8: Yeah, absolutely. And okay. remember the, the, the push on Chris Paul in the elimination game a couple years ago, that earned Pat Beverly a suspension starting the next season. Hard to imagine there won't be a repeat of that uh, with another incident, same team I, from behind. I'm
7: just saying, I'm not condoning fighting at all. That's not who I am. But like stuff like that, like, that makes people want to fight. Yeah. Like, that, that's why people don't like Pat,
0: Pat, Patrick Beverly. The guys, I mean, the sons. Well, it's, it's, well I'm just talking well, it's about, just you, you, know, you know that comes along with who yeah.
7: P-Bev P- is, and I like Patrick Beverly, but, like, at the end of the day, square up. Like, do it to my face
0: with me seeing it coming. In the meantime, Lakers lose again. They're 5-11, and but Anthony Davis is putting up unimaginably big numbers right now. For those of you not paid 37 points last night, he's put up huge numbers in the absence of LeBron. Woj, what do we make of that? Because there's been a lot of talk about the Lakers, our change is coming. Anthony Davis is doing his part right now.
8: Yeah, this is the all-world player that the Lakers traded for and traded so much of their future for and did win a championship with in the bubble. But that performance last night... 30, 20, 5, 5. No one's ever put a line like that up. And certainly in the absence of LeBron James, he's been out five games uh, with that groin. He has put up all NBA MVP-like numbers. And certainly you get LeBron James back here soon. I think the hope for L.A. is they could be a more competitive team with, with certainly Anthony Davis leading the way. This was the plan all along that LeBron James would take a back seat to Anthony Davis as he got closer to 40, that this team would be built around him. And you certainly have seen that at least in this
0: stretch. Let me underline what Woj just said. The numbers you saw on the screen up there with the 5 and the 5, no one ever did that before. That was an unprecedented stat line that Anthony Davis had last night. How about it? There's been a lot of questions about just how good he is. Has he been surpassed by a lot of other bigs? Give him credit where it is due. He is playing great right now. He
7: is playing phenomenally. But look, first half, he settled for some jump shots, a little bit passive second half. He was aggressive. He got his butt back in the paint. Played inside out. That's who Anthony Davis is, and that's the guy that needs to not get the torch passed to him from LeBron James. He, that's the guy that needs to grab the torch. But still, they're second to last in the conference. Oh yeah, even with
0: him playing this. No, week. they're five and eleven. I mean, they're playing without LeBron James. W- when should we expect? When do they expect LeBron to return?
8: I, I think sooner than later. It's been five games now. Uh, with that groin. Listen, it's a long season. They're trying to keep this from becoming a recurring injury. Uh, But I think there's some optimism. Again, they'll get him back sooner than later.
0: Okay, we were going to get Stephen A. Smith in here in our next hour. Woj will be with us uh, as we continue today. We have Countdown tonight and a whole lot more. J. Will, outstanding. Back on KJM. Guys, thank you. Again, we have a doubleheader tonight. Really good games to get you set for your Thanksgiving holiday. We start in Boston. we got Tatum and the Celtics. we got Luka and the Mavs tip off 7.30 Eastern here on ESPN. Then we got Steph and the Warriors taking on the Clippers. We'll start your night with NBA Countdown 7 Eastern on ESPN. ESPN and on the ESPN app. Okay, Heather Dinich is with us this morning, and let's, uh, let's let her put things in HD. As I always say, in college football, things tend to be somewhat blurry, and then Heather explains everything to us, and it all becomes crystal clear. So let's start with this. The name I don't hear anymore is Alabama. The the Crimson Tide, they're now number seven. Do they have any chance of winding up in this playoff?
6: No. And the reason I say no is because the selection committee's bar for a team that does not win a conference championship is much, much higher. It's one thing to talk about a two-loss LSU that wins the West, wins the SEC. It's an entirely different conversation in the committee meeting room to talk about a two-loss Alabama that didn't win its division, lost two games, And the other thing, too, is their best wins are against Texas and Ole Miss. I just don't think that's going to cut it.
0: I understand. I mean, their strength of record, according to our resume ranks here, is fifth. Um, but that's, that doesn't do much. Let me get to TCU. They obviously, they win the miracle game this past weekend on the last second field goal. Can they afford to lose to Iowa State and still make it?
6: I'm not going to rule them out entirely if it's a close loss. But it is clear, because the committee didn't bump them up each of the past two weeks, after back-to-back road wins, that this team has little to no margin for error. They do not like the fact that they've continually had to come back in these games the committee chair mentioned that this week so, right, so
0: they may need to win out yep. and then if you're going to bet that palatial estate of yours in maryland which team is going to win the national championship?
6: I sat here in August. I told you Ohio State was going to win it all. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to continue to stick with the Buckeyes. And I say that because I think they're the best team of the other contenders that can give Georgia fits. And the reason is because C.J. Stroud, a quarterback, their turnover margin, and the fact that Georgia has looked vulnerable at times. They've had an ugly win against Missouri, and Kentucky wasn't exactly a blowout.
0: Ohio State's got to get through this weekend against Michigan. Michigan may be playing without, the oh, candidly, the most important player on their team and their running back, Blake Corum, which would change the dynamic of this game completely, right?
6: A 100%. I mean, not only Blake Corum, but his backup, their starting tight end, and of course, both coaches are mum on their injury situations, but both groups of running backs have been banged up. But Michigan's running game is its identity, and it has been all season. For J.J. McCarthy to have to win with his arm, we talked about this last week against Illinois, and they won with a field goal.
0: And that's why she likes Ohio State. Heather always putting things in HD for us. More on that as we go, and it's rivalry weekend That's coming up. We got two huge ones. We got Florida, Florida State, uh, and that's a Friday game. And then Saturday, we got USC Notre Dame. That will determine a lot. Remember, Heather, earlier this hour, talking about how important this game is for USC. Still an excellent chance for the Trojans to get into the playoff. Both games begin 7.30 Eastern on ABC and on the ESPN app. Coming up, it was an awful performance followed by an even worse press conference. And it leads to one very big question. Should the Jets bench Zach Wilson right now? We will get the answer next. Get up on
1: ESPN.
0: All right, it is time for the game that is sweeping the nation. It is called Can He or Can't He? Chris Canty, here we go. Let's start with Patrick Mahomes. Can he win his second MVP this season? Can he or can't he?
5: He can, G. And Patrick Mahomes is on pace for 5,550 yards. That would smash Peyton Manning's single-season passing record. He's got 28 passing touchdowns to 7 interceptions. For context, number two in passing touchdowns is Joe Burrow at 22. So he's leading the league by a country mile in a lot of important statistical categories throwing the football.
0: Absolutely. And he has only elevated in the absence of his most dynamic threat in Tyreek Hill this year, which has been remarkable to watch. All right, next, talk about another great quarterback. Can Lamar Jackson lead the Ravens to the one seed in the AFC? Can he or can't he?
5: He can and the Ravens are the beneficiaries of the easiest strength of schedule down the stretch in the second half of the NFL season. And the sneaky big addition of Roquan Smith has transformed that defense. Gee, they're pitching shutouts right now. They're holding opposing offenses in the teens, scoring the football. And so Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are poised to make a huge playoff push. All right, their first
0: game this season was against the Jets. The Jets did not have Zach Wilson available for that game. The question is, can Zach Wilson keep his job and lead the Jets to the playoffs? Let's start with that. Can he lead the Jets to the playoffs? Can he or can't he?
5: He can't, G, and that's with a capital T. Zach Wilson, since he stepped in in week four for the New York Jets, is dead last in completion percentage above expected, and the Jets are 23rd in offensive EPA. Zach Wilson's only got four passing touchdowns to five interceptions, and if we're keeping it a buck G, it should be seven with the interceptions dropped by the Patriots defense in Week 11. Somebody's got to tell Zach Wilson that Devin McCourty doesn't play on his team because he keeps throwing on the ball.
0: Yes, uh, I hear you. Let me bring the group in on this. Obviously, this one is personal for me. We're waiting for some news out of Jets camp today on whether or not he's going to get benched, and we don't have it yet. Uh, the moment there is anything that comes from there, we will let you know immediately. I'm really interested to hear from Tim Hasselbeck on this, obviously, my quarterback. Do you believe—I'll ask it as directly as I can. We've all seen what's happened, the terrible performance, <clears throat> the, 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 the press conference afterwards with the lack of accountability. Do you believe, Tim, the Jets should bench Zach Wilson?
3: I actually don't, Grainy, and it's not because I think that Zach Wilson gives them some you know, amazing opportunity to you know, go on this great playoff run and he's going to turn it around. The reason I say it is he's a young quarterback, still early in his rookie deal, and as soon as you bench him because you don't think he's good enough to help you make a playoff run and you're going to go to Joe Flacco or Mike White because you think they give you this much better opportunity for that, I think you're done with him. And Greeny, you know this, I, I think it's hard, I, I'm, I'm glad you kind of set the stage in terms of bad game, bad press conference, because it was such an easy fix, you know, hey, hey, did the offense, you know, let down the defense, it's like, no, the offense didn't let down the defense, I let down the defense, you just say that, and, and you, we're not kind of, I, I, think, I think we're just talking about his performance, not, is he capable of leading this football team, listen to Josh Allen after he struggled, like, he's like, hey, you can't win when your quarterback plays like this, like, Because he did that, I think it's it's certainly snowballing. I think it's hard to recover from. Um, And I just, look, I don't know that it's going to happen. I just think that if you move on from him right now, then you're moving on from him for good. And I just, to me, I think it's too early to do that just because, uh, you know, I think you have to try to just deal with it and see if he can pull himself out of it.
0: so, so, So let's set the stage of exactly what that would be. Dominique is a student of football history, which is what I am. Once upon a time, a quarterback was the second pick in the draft, and because of a combination of performance and attitude in the locker room, his career wound up lasting almost no time. His name was Ryan Leaf. We do 30 for 30s about him. That's the territory that we are in right this minute with Zach Wilson, if indeed. And Tim is not the only one who is suggesting that the Jets are, are, are prepared to move on from Zach Wilson for good. Like Dominique, we're talking about legendary territory here if this thing is over this quickly. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I disagree with Tim in that it means that it's completely over for him. Sometimes a wake-up call is a little bit what you need, and also sometimes some time off, a time away is uh, what you need. I'm not saying they need to leave the team, but time away from the pressure of being the quarterback in uh, in New York, I think, could be good for him. I don't think this has to be completely framed as a bad thing, but I do think that they have to bench him now and put someone else in because I'm looking at this and trying to think the best thing you can do for a struggling quarterback, is to lean in on what they do well and focus a lot on that and try to support him with uh, talent around him. They can't do anything to the roster. The roster is the roster, and I think it's a fairly talented roster. But more importantly, I don't know what the thing is. Like, I, I guess it's like short game, throwing slants. I'm not sure what the thing is that you can focus on and say, all right, we're going to make sure that you're comfortable and you're doing this. We bought in on Zach Wilson, or at least some people bought in on Zach Wilson, in large part because – He had the ability to make, like, wild, angle, hard Mahomesian throws, but we haven't really seen him do the basics first, and that's the hard part. And maybe some time away can help him kind of solidify those things first.
0: Look, for anyone who didn't watch it on Sunday, he couldn't complete a pass behind the line of scrimmage against the New England Patriots on a windy day yeah. in which Mac Jones didn't seem to be having anywhere near that level of trouble with the win. Chris Canty, I'll come to you. On Tim's idea, you're by no means the only one to say it. Dan Orlovsky was tweeting about it this morning as well. Do you believe, CeCe, that if the Jets bench Zach Wilson now, they are in essence moving on from him for good?
5: Yeah, I think they are because Zach Wilson has shown me all I need to see as far as his sports character goes. And it's not just the press conference uh, post game from Sunday. It's the press conference post game after the first Patriots game where he said he got bored of getting outside of the pocket, seeing nothing downfield, and throwing the ball away. I'm sorry, G, but when you're the quarterback, you can never get tired of making the right football play. But that's in essence what Zach Wilson has said. And then beyond that, we have an accountability issue. And it's hard for a team to get to where they want to go if the guy that's under center, which is a position of leadership, by the way, a quarterback, is not taking accountability for his production or lack thereof. If I was in that Jets locker room, I got a big problem with Zach Wilson. There's got to be a confrontation, and if he refuses to take accountability for the mistakes, then that conversation can go left real quick. I ain't saying it's an IK and them Kapali situation, but I would understand if that happened, if the Jets players in that locker room didn't get the answers they want from their quarterback, because that defense is a championship caliber right now, and they're winning in spite of their quarterback, not because of him, and that's the problem. To be clear,
0: I.K. and Polly was uh, a—it was also happened on the Jets, because everything does. Uh, When Geno Smith was the quarterback (laughs) of the Jets, one of his own teammates punched him in the locker room and broke his jaw. That's what happened, and that's what Chris is referring to. Go ahead, Dominique.
4: Yeah, I just worry. I wonder, like, I understand you don't want to lose uh, Zach Wilson. Well, I guess I don't understand that. The argument is you don't want to lose Zach Wilson. But also, doesn't it feel like you're in a territory of losing everyone else? Like, the things that we hear coming out of that locker room suggest that they're already done with him as far as the, the team is concerned. So don't lose all your good players for a player that you don't even think is good right now or hasn't shown us up until this point. Like, where is the game? Where is the play? Where is the moment? that we can say, all right, there's hope here. Like, we're seeing that from Justin Fields right now. We're not seeing it from, from Zach. And I, I would hate to be a leader on this team and try to hold this team together if they keep rolling Zach Wilson out there despite him not producing very much.
0: Which would mean that the New York Jets would have drafted quarterbacks in the top three twice in the last five years, Tim, and neither one of them will be their starting quarterback next season. That is the scenario that we are painting right now for a franchise that has gotten so many other things right in the last year or two, but the most important thing, if they got this this wrong, and I cannot underline enough the historic mm-hmm. territory that we are possibly treading in here with this level of bust, then Tim, I, I, I'll give you the final word on this because candidly Green, I'm going to smash no, Green, my head Green, into a you're wall. You're
3: on the- money yeah. yeah no no green you're on the money like and that's why I said like you don't bench him right now because it's uh, honestly because you kind of you need him to pull himself out of it you do And look if I'm Robert Sala I'm pulling him into the office and I'm and I'm correcting it all I'm saying look that you can't answer you know questions like that afterwards you need to take accountability and we need you to play better I'm gonna give you the chance to do it but the leash is not real long and you've got to find a way to, to get this locker room back behind you
0: all right, we'll see if they can figure out a way to do it again. You I'm pull in constant contact. Out of a slump. Yeah, uh, stay right there. We'll come back to this. There's so many topics I want to get back to today. I've got uh, calls into everybody that I know over there. If there's any news on this, you will hear it immediately here. In the meantime, the Thanksgiving Day uh, games tomorrow are terrific. Cowboys coming off a big win, Giants coming off a big loss. So why is it one member of our crew sees a big upset on the horizon? You'll find out next. This is Get Up on ESPN, and I might throw up.